chapter 4, verse 13. Go ahead and turn in your Bible. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Aaron. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's, it's good to uh, be sharing in God's Word with you and see what He has for us uh, this morning. Last week, I was in uh, beautiful South Dakota. I think there are less people in South Dakota than, than just in Fresno, um, and it's awesome. It's very peaceful. And uh, I was there visiting uh, my wife's, uh, Justine's family, and uh, we were there with our son August, seeing all the cousins, nephews, everyone, and it was a great time. We were, uh, just a couple days ago, I was sitting at uh, the table with my uh, grand, uh, grandmother-in-law and uh, cousins, uh, uncles, and we were talking about how God has worked in our lives. And in different moments, we were sharing stories about how we have been at a crossroads, a fork in the road where we go this way or that way, and we said, okay, what's God's will for my life, right? Uh, that's why we're here. Um, by the way, I know this, that if I did a sermon series on the Trinity, I, I wonder if half of you would show up, but we're here when we talk about God's will. Everyone wants to know what's God's will for my life, and so we started looking at it and going, okay, well, um, uh, this is what happened to me. And, and we started telling stories. And, and what we found was that each of us had something like a fleece moment. Now, when I say fleece, I'm talking, I'm referring to a specific story that if you grew up in church or you may have heard, heard uh, it talked about if you read your Bible uh, in the book of Judges, uh, there's a story about Gideon uh, and the Midianites. Uh, not Gideon and the Mennonites. We're Mennonites. Gideon and the Midianites. And Gideon uh, is going to go into battle, but he's like, I'm not sure whether or not I should go into battle. And he says to the Lord, who's heard that, this story, by the way? Okay, we've heard that story. Okay, for those of us who hasn't, this is how it goes. He, he says, Lord, I'm not sure whether or not I should go fight. Um, these guys have more um, uh, weapons, have more uh, in their military than we do. Are you for us or not? How is this going to work? And so he says, Lord, if you don't mind, I'm going to put you to the test. And he takes a fleece out and he puts it on the ground. And he says, okay, tomorrow morning, I'm going to come uh, and check this fleece that's on the ground. And here's what I, I ask. Only the fleece would be full of dew, would be wet, and the ground around it would be completely dry. So what happens? He goes to bed, comes back out the next day, and lo and behold, the, the fleece is, is completely wet, the ground is dry. But that's not enough for Gideon. He comes before the Lord again. He says, Lord, if you don't mind, please don't get mad at me. I'd like to do this one more time. I'm going to put the fleece out, and this time we're going to, can, can we switch it? And I'll really know you're for me and not against me. I'll, I'll put the fleece out, and the ground will be completely wet, and the fleece will be completely dry. And so the Lord in his grace, I would say also in his mercy, agrees, and he answers um, uh, Gideon's prayer, and, and Gideon ends up becoming victorious. We, we, so those of us who have heard that story, um, we, we can make, take that and really run with it, right? We can go, okay, Lord, here's my crystal ball. Would you answer my prayer? This is, this is what I've got. And, and, and we come up with all sorts of just funny, interesting, even crazy ways for how we go. Here's how I can know the will of God for my life. I, I, I think if we really want to be wise, we should go back to Scripture. Isn't it true that God's word always tells us what we need to know how to live our life? And James 4 speaks directly to this. So I'm excited to really look at this with you this morning. Let me read verse 13. I'm going to read the whole thing and we're going to dice it up, chop it up and look at it together and uh, see what James is saying to the church um, all throughout uh, the Middle East. And he says this, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. James says, verse 14, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to. Maybe your version says, if the Lord wills. Same thing. We will live and do this or that. 
Otherwise, you are boasting about your own plans, and such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Okay, the book of James is considered to be like the New Testament version of Proverbs. If you've ever opened up the, your Old Testament, you, you look smack dab in the middle, you have the book of Psalms, and right next to it, the Proverbs. My dad is not a Christian, but at one time I saw him looking through his Bible, um, and he, as he was looking through his Bible, he, really, he says, I really like the Proverbs. You don't have to be a Christian to realize that there is wisdom in the Bible for practically living out your life. And so when you look at the Proverbs, and then you read James, you realize James is so deeply practical. And James itself is, is like the New Testament version of Proverbs. It's one of the most famous books in the entire Bible. And James is speaking to Jewish Christians who had, been, who had believed in the Lord. This is just a little bit after Jesus has resurrected from the dead. They believe in the Lord, but because of suffering, persecution, they've been sent into what's the diaspora. They were spread out. And he said, let me tell you how to live your life in a godly way. And so he says all sorts of famous statements that some of us may have heard. Um, Faith without works is dead. Talking about taming the tongue, that the tongue is like a flame that can turn into a bonfire and, 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 and burn the whole house down. Or the tongue is like a, a rudder to a ship and directs which way you're supposed to go. And by the time he gets to the future... He says, let me tell you about how you should not and how you should approach the future. Here's how the world approaches the future, and here's how you as a Christian ought to approach the future. And that's exactly the way we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at how the world approaches the future, how, whether or not it considers God's will, and then we're going to flip around and look how God says we as Christians should approach the future. That's all we're doing, just two things um, this morning. So he goes after this first group of guys who said, I'm here to make my money. And so those who say, I'm going to go make to such and such town, I'm going to make a profit. And James says, give me a break. Give me a break. What you are saying when you say that, you're just revealing what's in your heart. Now, I know none of us in here would ever be so arrogant to think we would know what would happen tomorrow. However, I have been a college and young adults pastor. And here's what's so interesting. You ever ask a college student, say, so what's your plans for your life? It's always interesting to see what's really in their heart when they go, well, I'm getting this major so I can get this job, so I can marry this person, so I can get the the house with the white picket fence and drive a minivan and live in the suburbs suburbs until I die. And so you can kind of see that trajectory that that some people say, this is how I'm going to live my life. It's interesting to see how much they consider God to be or to not be in the mix. Okay, Uh, what about new parents? Um, Some of you know I'm a new parent, so don't come after me too hard here, okay? Uh, What about a new parent or someone who says, when I have kids, here's how I'm going to do it. And I have seen others do that, and I've watched those of you who are older parents go, yeah, we'll see when when you're up late at night. Let's see how that really goes down for you. Um, By the way, I think I should pause here and and say this. Some of you are friends with uh, my wife, Justine, and I on social media. We were just, like I said, in South Dakota. We were there for an important reason because we were there also to... Yeah, announced that uh, my wife is pregnant and we're going to be having our second born in January. Um, so let me tell you how we're going to do it when we have two children. We're not going to do it the way some of, no, no, of course not. It's ridiculous. Um, so you can see how a person says, here's how I'm going to do this thing. And you see how much out of the overflow of, this is how Jesus says it, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. How you talk about the future reveals what's right in your heart, right? Reveals right what's in your heart. I want to make two clarifications, though, before we go any further. I am not saying, number one, that you should not plan for the future. 
Um, I, I, don't let this young pastor get up here and say, or don't misunderstand me to some of you guys who are considering uh, retirement soon or saving for that uh, life savings that you should just throw away your life savings. I'm not saying that at all. If you read the Bible, you actually see that the Bible, I think, encourages planning ahead. You read, going back to the Proverbs, Proverbs 15, 22, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. When you plan, get wise people around you. Proverbs 21, 5, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Don't do quick, get rich quick schemes. 24, 27 of Proverbs, do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. And it talks about the right order of making sure you prepare well. You read the Bible, you see the Bible is not against planning in and of itself. It is against planning apart from the will of God. That's what James is really going after here. Do you consider God's will when you say, this is what I think I want to do tomorrow? Or, or do you say, my will be done? Here's how I can, because we're so, we're so good at this, of saying, no, I trust the will of God. It, it, let me ask you this. What is that thing in your life that's just around the corner that's going to happen next? Maybe it's a surgery. Uh, we, have, we have a godly man who is here, and he's talking about the surgeries that he has upcoming, talking about how he's processing that. Um, what about for you? And thinking about what the next stage of life is, maybe uh, of having kids or maybe of dealing with, with that job circumstance. I have a question. Fill in the blank for you, whatever that is. Do you have anxiety about it? Do you live in worry? I have found, can I just confess, I'm just a sinner just like anyone else here. Probably one of the top things that Aaron and I deal with is anxiousness and worry. And anxiousness and worry I have found in my life over the last few years is not the root problem, but a symptom of the root, which is pride, which says, I am in control, right? And so when I say I am in control and then things don't go my way, I get frustrated and I get anxious. And so my question to you is, when you're considering whatever it is in your life, whatever that thing is, is there a level of anxiousness there? And it may be because you're saying my will be done and not his will be done. And so listen, the problem is not planning ahead. The problem is planning ahead apart from the will of God. Maybe we should say things like this. I am going to pray and let God worry. Maybe we should say things like this. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Today has enough trouble of its own, right? Or how about this? I choose to hold tightly to Jesus and with everything else have a loose grip. Imagine if we had this kind of mentality in our hearts so that when we spoke, when we talked about the future as Christians, when we go out from here this morning into a watching world, we say, let tomorrow come what may, I trust the promises of God. That would be an, a much different mindset than what the world says. I'll give you a second clarification here, all right? I don't think the Bible either is against making a profit. Let me take you to the Proverbs once again. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth from get-quick-rich schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Similar to the verse I referred to just a minute ago. How many of us have seen people who have said, I'm, I'm going to get wealthy quickly, and then seen it not work out, or then they lose it real quickly? The Proverbs say, here's a wise way to do it. Work incrementally over time. Be diligent and be disciplined. The Bible isn't against making profit. It's, it's all about doing it the right way. 
The Proverbs 31 woman, what about her? If you are a wife or you're thinking maybe one day of becoming one, read Proverbs 31. And what you will find is you will find a wife and a mother who loves her family, provides for her family, makes sure clothes are on her children's back. She goes out and makes a profit. She comes back and she sells things. She buys things. She does it for the, per, the, 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 the security of her family. She honors her husband so that he looks good at the front gates of the city. That's how it worked in that day. And so people would speak well of him. The Proverbs 31 woman is all about making sure that there's provision meant for her household. I don't think the Bible is against profiting in and of itself. But once again, profiting apart from the will of God. That's what the Bible is against. And so think about this. One of the things I, I think I heard from Pastor Ken first, I, I really love this phrase. The way we think of our tithes and offering. The way we think of that is we think of it as funding the Great Commission here at Sunnyside. So when you give, you're not just giving just so we can have air conditioned, praise the Lord, especially this morning, and also so that we can have lights. You're doing it because you make it possible for someone like myself to stand up here and just, just praise the Lord and say how good he is, and that, he's, and that he's not against us, but that he's for us. You make it possible so that we are able to fund those who are not only on staff, but those who are church planners, who here in the U.S., those who are assets overseas, people living in Turkey and Kyrgyzstan and all over Thailand who you will never meet, but because of the blessing of the profit of what the Lord has given you, out of the overflow of that, you are able to say, Lord, take this and bless others so that in a world that is broken, a post-pandemic world, an economically uncertain world, we can say, there is one who is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and I will give whatever it takes to make sure others know the good name of Jesus that I have received for myself as well. You here in Southeast Fresno make that possible. Let's just say thank you for that. If you're a member here, this is what we do. As a member at Mountain View, we say, we give, you want to talk about being faithful? This is what the Lord is calling us to. He says, he says if you want to really want to trust me with your future, do something that may seem crazy to the world. You should give a tenth of your income right off the top. And by doing that, you will be a blessing to others and you will put your future in God's hands. Do you want to talk about really putting your future in God's hands? See where, see where someone's money is and then you can see what their heart is. I had a professor who said to me, first day of seminary, um, as he was just ripping into all of us about how difficult ministry was going to be, he pulled out his pocketbook and he says, show me your pocketbook and I'll show you where your heart is. And so this is what I want to say to each of us. The Bible isn't against making a profit, but the Bible is saying, God has already blessed you. And out of the blessing of what he's given you, will you be a blessing to others, okay? So this is how the world sees things. And this is what we must fight against. The reality is, is that when it says things like, you don't know what tomorrow brings. You have no clue. You're just like a mist that's here for a moment and gone tomorrow. I think of, to be in all serious, to be completely serious here, I think of... Um, Matt Chandler, and one of the sermons I heard from him about a year ago, and he says, there's no man who is too macho, so strong, who isn't capable of being brought to his knees by one devastating phone call. One devastating phone call that a loved one has passed away, or that his life is about to change, or that he's, he's got cancer, or something like that. No one here can really say, yeah, I control time. And I can predict what will happen. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Man, we can't even change what happened five seconds ago. You can't go back and change the words I just preached 13 seconds ago. We can't do that. We are so at the mercy of the Lord. 
And for the person who says, I look at, I don't know what in the world happened, but somehow on Instagram, the, the, the algorithm got me, and I'm getting all sorts of um, entrepreneurs telling me how to work harder than everybody else to make sure I get that cash. Anybody else get that junk too? I get that, and I go, man, you're chasing it, but you could be dead tomorrow, and you don't even know it, right? What happens if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? What is more important than your soul? And so the Bible looks at us and says, reality in real life is that you cannot control what tomorrow will bring. So stop playing pretend. James just gives it right to us that way, right? But on the flip side, we have to ask the question, okay, if that is what we aren't supposed to do, live my life apart from the will of God, how do I consider the future in a godly way? And I think there's really, secondly, four little words that's going to help us. And I've already been saying it over and over and over again. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. And you say, if the Lord wills, we will do this, 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 or that. Now, I don't know about you. I've grown up in church, and I've heard many people say, Lord willing, Lord willing, we're going to do this. Lord willing, we're going to do that. And it's just like throwing that phrase onto like every kind of statement before you're about to do something. And I don't think James is just saying, give lip service, like, Lord willing, we're going to go to Chick-fil-A and, and, and sit in line for an hour and get those delicious chicken nuggets. Or Lord willing, they're going to finally put a Chick-fil-A next to my house so I don't have to drive an hour every single time I want to have that delicious delicious goodness food. I, no, no, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying it's a mindset change. It's a mindset change that says God is in control. He is in heaven. I am on earth and I trust him and I trust him completely. The big question though is how do I know what his will is? Question, have I ever uh, told you the story of how I knew it was God's will that I was supposed to marry Justine? I don't think I've, I've told that here. Um, I, back in 2013, I had just gotten back from being an intern at uh, Mountain View, serving in the exchange uh, youth ministries with Pastor Ken himself. And I went back to college in Kansas, and I had taken all the money I'd saved up that summer and all my life savings, which wasn't that much at the time. And I said, Lord, I think I'm going to buy a ring. I think I'm going to marry Justine Langer and I'm make her my wife. And so she's godly, she's awesome, she's beautiful. Who else, Lord? But Lord, I need you to let me know this is your will. And so I had my fleece moment, okay? And so I went before the Lord and I said, you know, I'm going to go buy the ring. I'm going to go about an hour south of Wichita. And uh, on the way, you know, it would just be really awesome, Lord, if you just... uh, if you just had her father, John, just call me up and say, Aaron, I just want to affirm you. I think you're a great guy, and I just think you'd be right for Justine. Just something random like that. Then I'll know, Lord, this is what you want. Um, but if you don't want me to, to marry Justine, Lord, I pray that you would let me get a flat tire, let me get in a car wreck. Do not let me make it that hour drive all the way down, because better to not marry, to, to not marry the wrong person um, uh, and, and, and get in a car wreck. You understand what I'm saying, I'm getting all that wrong. But right, all that. So Lord, please help me out. And so I drive down, and I get about 30 minutes in, engine light isn't coming on, no phone call from John, and I'm going, what in the world's happening, Lord? 45 minutes, getting anxious, getting worried, like, come on, Lord, help me out here. Be clear. Tell me what you want. An hour goes by. I see the exit for the mall, and I purposely miss the exit just to give the Lord a little bit more time to answer my prayer. And so I drive a little further on. I make a U-turn. I go back, and I go, okay, well, this seems to be right, and I got the ring. By the way, I never asked Justine what ring she wanted, uh, and to this day, uh, I, just, I just gave it to her. Uh, to this day, she says it's the one she always wanted, and so that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And so I'm driving back from Wichita, going back to Tabor, and I go, Lord, what just happened there? You didn't answer my prayer. You didn't reveal your will to me. 
And I thought, what is the purpose for why I'm marrying this, this awesome gal? And I went, the highest reason I could think of, this is what it was. I said, it's that I would pursue holiness with her. That I would seek to, to glorify my Father who is in heaven, not just alone as a single man anymore, but we would do it together as a team to live in faithful obedience. That we would grow in holiness, holiness, holiness together. I was like, yeah, that's good. And so two weeks later, I'm in a small group with a whole bunch of guys, and um, I'm, I'm a senior at the time, and I'm, I'm leading a whole bunch of freshmen, and um, there's a guy named Brendan Pankratz, freshman, good guy, and we break, up into small, we break up into groups of two at the end. And he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he starts praying for me. I hadn't told anyone what was happening. And, I said, and he said, Lord, I just thank you for Aaron and Justine, and um, I thank you that the reason that you have brought them together, and, and who knows if they'll get married one day, um, but Lord, I just thank you that the reason you brought them together isn't just so that they would grow in happiness, but that they would grow also in holiness. And it clicked. I went, ah, that's exactly what I had prayed for just a little while ago, a couple weeks. And I found, why do I tell you that story? For, for two reasons. One, the Lord knew how to answer my prayer better than I thought he knew how to answer my prayer. That's the first thing. But the second thing is that the truth of growing in holiness together as a couple isn't just something I've thought up of in my head. It's grounded in scripture. Isn't 1 Corinthians 10, 31 clear? It says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So growing in holiness is for the sake of, is demonstrating that he is worthy in your life. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so I realized, yes, that's what I want to do with my marriage and that's grounded in the Bible. So the reason I tell you this story it's to answer the question, how do you know God's will for your life? I want to give you a method that's guaranteed every single time you know, surefire, this is God's will for your life. I call it the read your Bible method. Read the God's word. Because when you read it, you see the promises of God. You see that the end of the story of his will for your life is that in the end of all things, he will return. He will make all wrongs right. He will wipe every tear away from our face. And he will say, welcome home, Christian. That's the hope that we have, the promises of God. But also, thirdly, we see how he's called us to live in faithful obedience. And so whenever I sit down with someone and says, I can't hear what God wants to say to me, I go, have you read the book? Have you seen what he calls you to, 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 to live? There's certain things you never have to pray about. You never have to pray about, should I be faithful to my wife? You never have to pray about, should I tell the truth or should I be a lying person? You never have to pray about whether or not I should live in purity or be kind to my children or love my neighbor as myself. It's all demonstrated so clearly right here in a sufficient book inspired by God himself. And so when I read his word, I know the, the, his will for my life. Adrian Rogers put it this way. You want to know God's will for your life for the next 15 years? Man, do God's will for the next 15 minutes. And doing that, you don't have to worry about tomorrow because you're being faithful with what he's put right in front of you. And so my hope for you as a Christian, those of you who know the will, that know the will of God in his book, is that you would live it out. And I think that gives us so much more security knowing he's got this. He's in control over time. And he himself has told us this, that we should live in this way. I will trust the Lord with all my heart. This was just prayed over all of us at 9 a.m., by the way, in our prayer meeting this morning. I was reminded of this. I will trust the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding. In all my ways, I will acknowledge him, and he will make my paths straight. Isn't that the way we are called to live, right? Isn't that the way we're called to live? And could it be that maybe the Lord has not revealed everything in your life about what will happen because it's a blessing? 
Because if he did reveal it, it might terrify you. He's called us to be faithful with what's right in front of you. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. And while you're doing that and reading his word, interlock your fingers in prayer and say, Lord, these are your principles. How do you want me to directly live this out? Have you noticed that nothing I've said this morning has been like deeply revolutionary? Uh, Want to know God's will for your life? Read your Bible. Uh, pray. It's, it's a really good thing to do. But there's just something so funny about this that we just don't do it, right? That, that we're just so inconsistent. This is why we have church every Sunday to remind ourselves once again, oh yeah, that's how, how he's called me to live. But in the middle of my faithlessness, man, despite the fact that I don't say your Lord, Lord, your will be done, I wish there, there was someone else who said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And I'm so thankful to know that there is someone who is that way. Take in your mind for just a moment and just picture that there is a carpenter's son 2,000 years ago right outside the walls of Jerusalem in a garden called Gethsemane. He's with his, his, his brothers, his disciples. He's gone a little bit away from them and he's praying in agony and sorrow. He's actually even... Sweating blood, that's how, that's how weighty the moment is on him. And he goes before the Lord and he says, if it is possible, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What is this cup that this carpenter's son is talking about? He is talking about the fact that in a few short hours, he is about to die on a Roman cross for something he did not deserve. How good it is to know that every single time I have been faithless, the Son of God himself 2,000 years ago was faithful for me. He said yes to the Father's will, which ended up in death for my sake and for yours. And so who am I? That he would know that I would be faithless. He remained faithful so that I would be called a son of God, that I would be adopted into his family. Jesus Christ himself, he looked at sorrow in the face. He, he looked at the trouble that he was about to endure. And why could he look at it and say, never mind, I still trust the promises of God? Because he saw pure joy for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The implication of this is that you and I can look at every single moment that we're about to round the corner and go, Lord, I don't know, I don't know, and I know one, though, who is sympathetic to what I go through, who put his two feet in the dirt for my sake and for yours. There, there is one who's the king of kings and lord of lords, but he's also called the son of man, and he understands what you are going through in this present moment. The gospel of Jesus, of him dying and resurrecting, was not just good news when you became a Christian. It is good news right now for you as a Christian because of what he has done has present effects. So you can go, I may be in crazy stuff right now, but God is for me and he isn't against me. Is that something we should, we should say amen to? We should say, yes, Lord, he is good in that way. James ends this, this passage with one little verse. I'll close with this. He says, remember it is sin to know what you ought to do and then to not do it. It seems kind of random that he would say this at the end of this, but what is he getting at? He's saying on the one hand, sin is this, knowing what is right, knowing what is wrong and doing it anyways, but knowing what is right and refusing to do it. Man, if we know what God has called us to do to live this life according to his will, to not do it is what James says, that's living in sin. The consequences are so high. So here's what I want to put to every single one of us as we close out today. 
When James speaks, he's not speaking to individuals. He's speaking to a community of believers. And so for every single one of us in here who have called on the name of the Lord, welcome to the church. This is the community of the saints who in just a few minutes from now, we will be sent back out into our community. And we have a decision to make. Whether we as the church will say, Lord's will be done or my will be done. And in doing so, we demonstrate whether he is worthy in our lives. And so the question that all of us may ask, is can I trust him? The answer is yes. And when we say yes to him, we not only make the church look good, but more importantly, we make our Father, Son, and Spirit worthy, worthy in our lives, and we demonstrate that he is good. Isn't that something that's worth living up to? I think when we do that, we'll demonstrate that we're glorifying our Father and Son who has lived and has died for us. Let's go ahead and pray.